Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The apparition seemed like a vision from another world, and almost appalled, we watched with amazement the gradual development of two vast crosses, one on either side. If the Taugwalders had not been the first to perceive it, I should have doubted my senses. They thought it had some connection with the accident, and I, after a while, that it might bear some relation to ourselves. But our movements had no effect on it, the spectral forms remained motionless. It was a fearful and wonderful sight, unique in my experience, and impressive beyond description, coming at such a moment. Footnote. See illustration. I paid very little attention to this remarkable phenomenon, and was glad when it disappeared, as it distracted our attention. Under ordinary circumstances, I should have felt vexed afterward at not having observed with greater precision an occurrence so rare and so wonderful. I can add very little about it to that which is said above. The sun was directly at our backs, that is to say, the fog bow was opposite to the sun. The time was 6.30 p.m. The forms were at once tender and sharp, neutral in tone, were developed gradually, and disappeared suddenly. The mists were light, that is, not dense, and were dissipated in the course of the evening. It has been suggested that the crosses are incorrectly figured in the illustration, and that they were probably formed by the intersection of other circles or ellipses, as shown in the annexed diagram. I think this suggestion is very likely correct, but I have preferred to follow my original memorandum. In Parry's narrative of an attempt to reach the North Pole, Quarto, 1828, there is, at pages 99 and 100, an account of the occurrence of a phenomenon analogous to the above-mentioned one. At half-past five p.m. we witnessed a very beautiful natural phenomenon. A broad white fog-bow first appeared opposite to the sun, as was very commonly the case, etc. I follow Parry in using the term fog-bow. End of footnote. I was ready to leave, and waiting for the others. They had recovered their appetites and the use of their tongues. They spoke in patois, which I did not understand. At length the son said in French, Monsieur? Yes. We are poor men. We have lost our hair. We shall not get paid. We can ill afford this. Footnote. They had been travelling with, and had been engaged by, Lord F. Douglas, and so considered him their employer, and responsible to them. End footnote. Stop, I said, interrupting him. That is nonsense. I shall pay you, of course, just as if your hair were here. They talked together in their patois for a short time, and then the son spoke again. We don't wish you to pay us. We wish you to write in the hotel book at Zermatt and to your journals that we have not been paid. What nonsense are you talking? I don't understand you. What do you mean? He proceeded, Why, next year there will be many travellers at Zermatt, and we shall get more voyageurs. Who could answer such a proposition? 
I made them no reply in words, but they knew very well the indignation that I felt. Footnote. Nor did I speak to them afterward, unless it was absolutely necessary, so long as we were together. End footnote. They filled the cup of bitterness to overflowing, and I tore down the cliff madly and recklessly, in a way that caused them more than once to inquire if I wished to kill them. Night fell, and for an hour the descent was continued in the darkness. At half-past nine a resting-place was found, and upon a wretched slab, barely large enough to hold the three, we passed six miserable hours. At daybreak the descent was resumed, and from the Hörnli ridge we ran down to the chalet of Boule and on to Zermatt. Zeiler met me at the door, and followed in silence to my room. "'What is the matter?' The Taugwalders and I have returned. He did not need more, and burst into tears, but lost no time in useless lamentations, and set to work to arouse the village. Ere long a score of men had started to ascend the holy heights above Kalbermat and Smut, which commanded the plateau of the Matterhorn Gletscher. They returned after six hours, and reported that they had seen the bodies lying motionless on the snow. This was on Saturday, and they proposed that we should leave on Sunday evening so as to arrive upon the plateau at daybreak on Monday. Unwilling to lose the slightest chance, the Reverend J. McCormick and I resolved to start on Sunday morning. The Zermatt men, threatened with excommunication by their priests if they failed to attend the early Mass, were unable to accompany us. To several of them, at least, this was a severe trial, and Peter Perrin declared with tears that nothing else would have prevented him from joining in the search for his old comrades. Englishmen came to our aid. The Reverend J. Robinson and Mr. J. Philpotts offered themselves, and their guide, Franz Andermatten. Another Englishman led us, Joseph Marie and Alexandre Lochmatter. Frédéric Payot and Jean Teichard of Chamonix also volunteered. We started at 2 a.m. on Sunday, the 16th, and followed the route that we had taken on the previous Thursday as far as the Hörnli. From thence we went down to the right of the ridge, and mounted through the Serac of the Matterhorn Gletscher. By 8.30 we had got to the plateau at the top of the glacier, and within sight of the corner in which we knew my companions must be. As we saw one weather-beaten man after another raise the telescope, turn deadly pale and pass it on without a word to the next, we knew that all hope was gone. We approached. They had fallen below as they had fallen above, Croth a little in advance, Haddo near him, and Hudson some distance behind. But of Lord F. Douglas we could see nothing. Footnote. A pair of gloves, a belt, and boot that had belonged to him were found. This somehow became publicly known, and gave rise to wild notions, which would not have been entertained had it been also known that the boots of all those who had fallen were off, and were lying upon the snow near the bodies. End footnote. We left them where they fell, buried in snow at the base of the grandest cliff of the most majestic mountain of the Alps. All those who had fallen had been tied with the manila, or with the second and equally strong rope, and consequently there had been only one link, that between old Pater and Lord F. Douglas, where the weaker rope had been used. 
This had a very ugly look for Taugwalder, for it was not possible to suppose that the others would have sanctioned the employment of a rope so greatly inferior in strength when there were more than two hundred and fifty feet of the better qualities still out of use. Footnote. I was one hundred feet or more from the others whilst they were being tied up, and am unable to throw any light on the matter. Croz and old Peter no doubt tied up the others. End footnote. For the sake of the old guide, who bore a good reputation, and upon all other accounts it was desirable that this matter should be cleared up, and after my examination before the court of inquiry, which was instituted by the government, was over, I handed in a number of questions which were framed so as to afford old Peter an opportunity of exculpating himself from the grave suspicions which at once fell upon him. The questions, I was told, were put and answered, but the answers, though promised, have never reached me. Footnote. This is not the only occasion upon which M. Clemens, who presided over the inquiry, has failed to give up answers that he promised. It is greatly to be regretted that he does not feel that the suppression of the truth is equally against the interests of travellers and of the guides. If the men are untrustworthy, the public should be warned of the fact, but if they are blameless, why allow them to remain under unmerited suspicion? Old Peter Taugwalder is a man who is labouring under an unjust accusation. Notwithstanding repeated denials, even his comrades and neighbours at Zermatt persist in asserting or insinuating that he cut the rope which led from him to Lord F. Douglas. In regard to this infamous charge, I say that he could not do so at the moment of the slip, and that the end of the rope in my possession shows that he did not do so beforehand. There remains, however, the suspicious fact that the rope which broke was the thinnest and weakest one that we had. It is suspicious because it is unlikely. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.